This is New Classical Tracks from listener-supported American Public Media. The best thing that you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. The pieces you're about to hear on this week's edition of New Classical Tracks are very important to violinists. Hilary Hahn told me they're like a cult favorite. In fact, people couldn't believe, wow, Hilary Hahn, she's finally recording these six sonatas by Eugene Isai. Well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, stick around as well, because the story is very fascinating, and Hilary Hahn tells us all about it and how she's connected to these pieces. It's this week's edition of New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Locker. Let's just start off by talking about Eugene Isai. He was considered to be the first modern violinist. Why is that? Something about how Isai mixed his technique and musicality was new in his playing. He really paved the way for a lot of contemporary violin playing to have the freedoms that it has. And his playing also referred back to the traditions that led to how he chose to play the instrument. His playing was recorded at the beginning of recording technology. And so he's one of the first people that we get to hear bridging those times. You were actually able to listen to some of those early recordings that he made. What did you hear as you listened to this legendary violinist? I am one generation removed from him musically. He was born in the 1850s. I was born in 1979, (laughs) but my teacher was born in 1907 and studied with Izai. So there was something about listening to the early recordings of Izai when I hadn't heard them for a while that was very surprising for me. I have spent the last few years, actually most of my career, just trying to get closer and closer to my own way of playing, my own sense of expression, and my own sense of freedom within the instrument. And I realized that instead of getting closer to myself as an individual, I've gotten closer to myself as part of a long history. Because when I heard Izai, it was like opening a box in your grandparents' attic and looking at a photo of an ancestor. But it is also like looking in a mirror because they might be wearing different clothing, but there's something about them that's just like you. (laughs) And so listening to Isaiah's recordings, I realized there is musical DNA. Somehow deep in myself, I have internalized a sort of set of values in my playing that I must have inherited. Can you describe those values? Are you able to kind of put your finger on them in a way that you can describe it to us? I think it's a combination of phrasing choices, rhythmic choices, and the way we both maneuver around the instrument. 
Part of technique is how you physically hold an instrument. Our physicalities are very different and our instruments are different, but the way we both work with the, the speed of our technique in service to the music, so where we choose to hold notes and where we choose to compress notes rhythmically, it also has to do with the flow of the technique and the lingering in the expression. There's something in there, in that whole world that I seem to have inherited or else it's a great coincidence. <laughs> Isai composed this set of sonatas 100 years ago this July, and you wanted to mark this centenary of these pieces. Why was that important to you? Well, I think that when there is a body of work that is groundbreaking and time passes, it's easy to forget the timeline that you're actually in. For me, I'm just one musical generation removed from the person who wrote these pieces, and I feel very closely connected. I wanted to make sure that the centenary was honored, and I really wanted to pay homage to this great violinist and great composer. And he wasn't just a great violinist and great composer, he was also the dedicatee of many major works in the violin repertoire today. He was a teacher, he was a conductor, he was colleagues with a lot of the violinists before and after him. He mentored musicians that were highly influential. So he was, it's like if you have a bike wheel, he was the the hub and the spokes all went out from him reaching, I guess, in all sorts of directions. So I thought it would be really important for me personally and also just to draw attention to who he was and the effect that he had and also how this body of work redefined the violin's voice in many ways. Isai also wanted to lift up some incredible violinists of his day, and he dedicated these sonatas to several of those. Why was that important to him? Do you know? I don't know that personally, because I would have had to have asked him myself. <laughs> and I have never met him. Um, he died before I was born, but he seems to have had these very close friendships with a lot of violinists, and he seems to have been intentional in what he wrote and who he wrote it for. So the first sonata is dedicated to the violinist whose solo performance inspired him to start writing this set of six sonatas. And in subsequent sonatas, he has these dedications to friends or um, close colleagues who are younger or people who were lesser known at the time or are lesser known now but were very famous at the time. It's almost like he was being intentional, not just with the people that he featured, but how he wrote for them. The style inside playing these pieces. I don't know if it's obvious to the listener, but 
for a performer, the deeper you get into the pieces, the more you realize they're customized for different players. And so the feeling of playing the instrument is different in each piece. And it's a bit of an insight into what it must have felt like to be that person. Also, there are lots of hidden messages in these pieces that were never written down besides in the music. So it's kind of a a little game of clue to try to work your way through these pieces and see, you know, why would this moment be in here? Was it something that happened when they were rehearsing together? Is it an inside joke? Is this a certain thing that was very important to this violinist that he was acknowledging? So he dropped that little bit of technique or phrasing or quote of some other piece into there. A very good example of that is um, the beginning of the Obsession Sonata. which was dedicated to a violinist who played Bach, but also practiced in a very fragmented way. So he would kind of start with one thing and then quickly work on a phrase of something else and then go back to the other thing, a sort of um, free-flowing mentality in his practice. And so Isai brings that into his writing for that particular violinist. And there are references to Bach's solo violin writing structure all the way through certain pieces that are dedicated to violinists who specialized in Bach. And it goes on and on. Sonata is for Manuel Quiroga, who was Spanish. And through my work with uh, the contemporary Spanish composer, the late Anton Garcia Abril, I recognized in that particular sonata by Izai for a Spanish violinist, I recognized elements of Spanish um, musical reference that a Spanish composer wrote for me, a non-Spanish violinist that I learned from him. So it's really interesting for me as the recipient of works that are dedicated to me to play pieces written by my musical ancestor that were dedicated to other violinists that I never met because I recognize the process and I recognize the messages. Hillary, you said that as you listened back to yourself playing these pieces, it gave you goosebumps. What were you hearing that gave rise to those goosebumps? Over the past few years, I've been doing a lot more solo performances, um, truly solo, just me on stage. (laughs) I started doing solo Bach recitals like around the release of my most recent solo Bach album, And that was, I guess, about five or six years ago. So I had not until that point played completely solo programs. And the amount of self-trust it takes to walk on stage and play by yourself for an entire program. And with the violinist, there's, when I do these programs, I don't use a music stand. There's no chair on stage. There's no instrument on stage. I bring it with me and everything that happens on stage is when I walk on and everything that happened is gone when I walk off. And it's a very, um, you know, it's a very intense mirror and also a very intense lens of communication towards the audience. So 
in the course of that, I think I've evolved as every project has changed me as a musician. I think that changed me as well. And then certain projects I did um, coming out of the pandemic lockdowns changed me again in their intensity and affirmation of the importance for me of performance and um, collaboration. So then to revisit myself as a solo artist in music that is so close to me that I hadn't played publicly for quite a while, it was really um, interesting and insightful for me to hear myself now and hear myself exploring this music now. But I think the most goosebumpy thing for me about it was just listening to Izai's own playing and then getting as close as I wanted to get to these pieces in a total immersion studio situation, listening to the playback and drawing these connections back to the past, but also knowing that what I do now is very much geared towards the future. And so that feeling of inheriting this sense of mission of passing things on from the past to the future generations, of trying to figure out what the field looks like in the next 20, 30, 40 years and how can I contribute to that. I think that was the thing that really struck me where I had to take a step back and and uh, see the big picture for a second. What's in that big picture as you're looking ahead? Well, I think that... Um, even the term classical music is a bit of a challenge because classical music, it is um, so all-encompassing as far as the references that it incorporates, the original voices that are in classical music and the people who are creating classical music today. It's so much that one word can't describe it. And I think in the past, people have thought of classical music as being... Um, more elitist and being exclusive and being exclusionary. And I think it didn't really start out that way. And somewhere along the line, um, it did become that way in sort of image. But I think there's so many people that for so long have been trying to break through those constrictions that have been writing amazing music that hasn't gotten much attention and then there are people who've been writing these huge works that are pillars of the repertoire that are so important as well. I would love for the future of this particular field of music to have room for all of the voices and to be as inclusive as possible of all the stories of humanity. Because when I go into a concert hall and I play a concert and there are 2,000 people in the audience and then I go back to the same hall the next day for the next concert in the series, there's another different 2,000 people in the hall. Every person brings their own combination of events from their life. They bring their own life story. And those 2,000 life stories, plus everyone who's on stage playing the music of the people who wrote it, who all of us have had these very different life stories. No one else has lived our exact lives. I think anytime we cut out some voice in that um, in that sea of humanity, we do a disservice to the history of people because music is a way to feel things that other people feel where words fail. The music steps in and fills in the gap. 
So it's the emotional document of history. And I really think that going forward, the more of an emotional document of all of the experiences that people have, all the life experiences that we bring together, I think that's going to be a huge role. And I would love to see our field sort of exemplify that. How do you see the recording of these six sonatas and celebrating the 100th anniversary of their composition fitting into that bigger picture that you just were talking about? So I've always believed that instead of having a formula for everyone to stick to, to go forward, I've always believed that in this particular genre of music, which is, again, many genres combined, it's always helpful for an artist to be free to pursue their passion, to have something that's near and dear to them that is from their own history or from their interest in whatever has captivated them. I think it's important that whatever that is, is allowed a space on stage. And sometimes there are commercial considerations, why things aren't programmed. Sometimes there's bias. Sometimes there are systemic reasons. But often there's maybe not understanding that the element of urgency that a passion can bring to a communicative genre of art And so for me, I find that this fits in to my story in a way that I'm very passionate about, in a way I feel very personally connected to. And I think when you have authenticity coming from an artist, when they're doing something that they truly believe in and love, that's the best advocacy for that particular piece that you could possibly find. So since we're all different and since we all have things that we care about, I think Allowing that space for this kind of project to happen is really, really important. And yes, these pieces are are very, very important to violinists. They're uh, like a cult favorite and they have their own fans. Like the set of six Ezai sonatas has a whole set of fans that love this particular music. So when it was announced that I would be uh, releasing this recording, they're like, finally, I've been waiting my whole life for Hillary's recording of the Isai Sonatas. A lot of people would be like, who is Hillary Hahn? And what are the Isai Sonatas? And who is Isai? And what's a sonata? And those are very valid questions. Um, but in this particular world that I'm in, it's it's something that is exciting for for a lot of us. And therefore, I think that level of authenticity is appreciated. But at the same time, um, someone can be incredibly influential and be in an echo chamber. So the more we can get the um, influence that someone has on a field, um, we can fill in those bits of information between how did we get from classical music to 12-tone composition to scores that are not based in notes, they're based in drawings. You know, there are people who were transitional along the way. And so Izai was one of those people that paved a new way in how he wrote for this instrument that is so uh, ubiquitous in so many pieces. 
It sounds like this whole process has been pretty life-changing for you. What has been most memorable about this project for you? For me, I think the the most memorable thing is is the feeling of playing these pieces. It's a very small detail, but it is very meaningful as a player. The way the violin sits on the body, so we we put our chin on the violin. There's a thing called a chin rest that is clamped onto the instrument that's wooden. And so sound travels directly from the violin through the wooden chin rest into the jawbone. And from the jawbone, it goes into our heads. And so we're hearing from the outside of our head, you know, we're hearing the sound around us. And we're hearing the sound transmitted directly from the vibrations of the instrument to inside. Just, it feels like it vibrates your brain. <laughs> it resets your, your brain waves in a way. And this music in particular, this music in particular with its complexity of technique, with its um, accumulation of resonance and how it plays with dimension of sound, it was so hypnotic for me as a player that it really, for me, brought the violin inside my body and inside my head in a way that was really satisfying and almost healing after these years of playing, you know, alone during lockdowns and then rejoining other people for collaboration, really expanding outward. There was something very magical and molecule feeling. Like it felt like it was molecule changing Um, to be able to play the violin and have that sensation, that emotional and physical connection, just being alone with the instrument. Are you going to be performing these works in celebration of the anniversary or just recording them? At the moment, this recording is the entire gift to my musical grandfather on the occasion of the 100th anniversary of these pieces. I really wanted to put so much energy and love and respect and imagination into this as a tribute. And perhaps I will perform these pieces more in the near future, but I don't have any particular plans for that. This was a unique moment in time. This album was on my album bucket list and I didn't quite know what occasion to tie it to. And then I suddenly realized right in the nick of time to make this recording, that this 100th anniversary was coming up, it just felt like such an important thing to connect with. Hilary Hahn's grand homage to her musical grandfather, Eugenie Sai. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Mocker. 